advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do, but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Good morning, everyone. This is Amrys Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. Today's episode is with superhero husband and wife team, Jeff and Michelle Allen from Monkey's House, a dog hospice and sanctuary that was established in 2015. They are devoting their lives to saving and caring for once homeless hospice dogs. Michelle is a retired RN and member of the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care. Michelle was named a 2017 CNN Hero recipient and their sanctuary has been recognised for its outstanding work and was awarded Rescue of the Year in 2017 by World Dog Expo. You can find Jeff helping people and dogs alike in his dual roles as a human resources manager at a pharmaceutical company and through his involvement with Monkey's House. He's the author of Amazon number one bestseller, Where Dogs Go to Live, inspiring stories of hospice dogs living in the moment, which highlights many of the dogs in Monkey's House. Living among 25 hospice dogs has given them a unique experience and hands-on knowledge that you can't find in a book. Michelle and Jeff live in New Jersey, USA with their pack of furry kids. This is their story. I love the wall behind you. Thank you. Thank you. And who do you have with you? We have Ariel. She joined us in the end of February. She has two paws and eight teeth, and she's fierce. <laughs> she's um, been kicking some cancer butt. And um, it's it's neat. She kind of waddles like a penguin okay. because her hind end is not functional. Um, and we got her cart, and it was almost instant. She could just glide through the air. Oh. And we've had her in rehab and water therapy. And usually she can splash for for being barely five pounds. She can splash and get everyone in the whole room wet. Um, just this Wednesday, she started to have a walking gait on the treadmill like her back end floats and she has a normal forward moving walking gait so this time everyone was wet because we were happy crying um she's full of she's full of joy well thank you for saying yes to to having this interview with me um can i just say that i've been fans of yours for a very long time now um i've because i follow dr judy morgan uh for the last mm -hmm two years plus since I've been on social media. 
I'm, I'm a newbie on social media and technology, so uh, do forgive me if I don't know all the social norms because I'm, I'm actually not very good with social media. Um, but I love what you do. You do better than me. <laughs> oh, no. You're too kind. Um, but, you know, I've huge respect for what the both of you are doing for Monkey's House. Um, you know, uh, what you do is, I think, something that I've actually uh, dreamed of doing for myself here in Singapore. Um, but because currently my current rescues and fosters at the moment are all young and they're not, they're not seniors. Um, but I've been telling myself once they all go, um, my next batch, I would actually want to focus on seniors, uh, be it cats or dogs. Uh, but I've been, but I'm a raw feeder. So using food therapy as, you know, um, advocated by Dr. Judy Morgan has been a huge influence in, in how I approach uh, palliative care for my seniors. And, you know, when I found out about you and I follow, I follow you, your stories on, on Facebook, it's just, it's so inspiring, you know, um, very heartfelt because I, I have a soft spot for seniors. I really do. And what you do isn't easy physically in terms of time and energy. Um, but, you know, um, I just think that the love and devotion that you, you share is just really awe-inspiring. That's all I can say. Thank, Thank you, you. Amos. Thank you. When you're ready to, to open your senior home, call me. I'll, I'll help you with that any way that I can. Any way that I can. But just like you, raw feeding was what hooked us in and what helped us make the difference. And, and it really brings so much into the quality of life that they live here. Exactly. Because um, when I started volunteering as a um, animal welfare advocate and rescuer, I, I, was, I started with kibble because that was what my seniors, the ones, the veterans taught me, you know, feed kibble. And I thought that's, that's mm -hmm. all that's fine. But my vet bills was astronomically high. You know, and these were like community cats that I feed downstairs. And I was thinking, it can't be right. How can I spend thousands of dollars on feeding cats and they get sick so easily, you know? And um, yeah. that's where Mr. Google comes in, you know, handy. <laughs> <laughs> when I started to try and figure out, you know, um, how to improve everything. And that's when I switched to a wet canned food only and mixing it with raw food, uh, you know, uh, we saw a huge reduction in vet bills for the community cats that I care for. The only, you know, and for like palliative care for seniors, when they come into my home, just feeding them raw food or even gently cooked, the quality of life just changed, you know, instead of that, you know, like one month kind of, um, you know, uh, prophesized by the vet, you know, um, I get, you know, 15 months, 18 months, two years of quality, quality life in their golden age where, you know, I've senior cats who couldn't walk and suddenly they're jumping and, and crawling all over my cat's super highway in my home and they're playing with the kittens and you go, oh no, I've created little monsters here, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> You know, um. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're 100% correct. I mean, Michelle, I know Michelle was, this is even before we started Monkey's House. Michelle and I had the dog monkey, right? 
and um, and he was going through some changes, and we changed the food up. So we were feeding moist, we were, and then we had to change because we had a horse. We had horses at the time as well, and one horse was very ill, and we spent a lot of money on the horse. So we ended up buying kibble, which was a lesser quality, and we saw quite a few issues with monkey and Michelle. Um, Michelle knew of Dr. Judy Morgan and had an appointment with her, and ever since uh, Michelle's completely learned as much as she can about nutrition. We, we really say, see the same thing that you see. We've had dogs where the shelter vet says, you know, has three, three weeks to a month to live. Like you said, they're here a year, two years later. We've, we, we have one that was here four years. Amazing. I mean, with all kinds of health issues, but still, in, and, and it's quality, not quantity, but you get that additional, you know, quantity with quality. Yeah, I think just, just introducing a fresh food food therapy, you know, be it raw or gently cooked, the quality of life for even in terms of it, it changed the, the the whole game of the idea of palliative care, you know, for me because a lot of a lot of rescuers when they talk about palliative care is very sad. It's very it's very emotionally pulling and depressive, you know. Um, it's almost like, oh, the poor dog or cat is there on their deathbed, you know, and, and it's a lot of IV drips or, you know, things like that. But I've realized providing palliative care since when I introduced um, the food therapy part, not only do they turn around, suddenly they, they don't need their IV fluids so much, especially kidney failures, because they tell me, oh, you know, kidney failure, um, one month to live. Or something like that, you know. But once I introduce the raw food or the you know the fresh food, I find that not only do they stop, some of them didn't even need IV fluids after that, like the sub Q fluids that often. Um, they had more energy. The coat changed. Their blood work came back normal. <laughs> you know, um, they they had. A zest for life They actually like to go out Like the dogs I used to um, I took care of a senior dog And we used to go for like Four hours Walking You know Very slowly Because he's a senior So we'll stop and rest But He, he enjoyed You know Like a, a second burst of life You know and, and eating And my younger dog Used to play with him I just think it's, it's just amazing And that's when it hit me Like Food therapy the holistic alternative approach, it, it is a game changer for hospice care, for palliative care, because it means it's not a sad death sentence for these animals. It actually, you improve the quality of life and usually that's the happiest they've ever been, especially when they've been abused or from shelters or you know, a bad history. They, you know, you see a personality come out like, oh my god, you're actually quite, you're quite a bully, aren't you? <laughs> so, but the thing, the coolest thing is that, um, you know, with with the group, the circles that you and I run in, they talk about starting this stuff from the from the start, you know, um, from from puppyhood, and I can't imagine having that gift of being able to start from puppies. But what I can tell you is. You can get them really old, really sick, and in really bad shape, and make a huge impact with just their diet, with just their diet. And, you know, there's, we really want to mimic, we really want to show the world 
what hospice and palliative care is. It's going to the beach. It's getting your surgery timed so that your incision is closed and set by four, we're on the beach. Because um, we want to make sure these dogs are truly living. They're not coming here to sit on a pillow. They're not sleeping in the corners. They are living. Yeah, our tagline has been where dogs go to live. But right? it's a dog hospice, it's, it's where dogs go to live. Like you said, most, probably most other um, you know, senior sanctuaries or the vet would say, you know, take the little dog home, keep them comfortable, feed them, like, you know, keep a nice soft bed, but just kind of let them pants. And that's not our philosophy, is it? Our philosophy is like, if we get them as healthy as we can for the time remaining, so they can enjoy those, those days, those weeks, those months, whatever is left. Those years. Yeah, and years. That's the thing, that's what the shelter vet, initially we were fostering for our local shelter. And the shelter vet, Monkey, as a matter of fact, he came to us um, in, car, in, in heart failure, and his respirations were 80 breaths in a minute. Now, I'm an asthmatic, and when I can't breathe, nothing else matters but me breathing. And seeing him struggle like that was really awful. And we had just lost a dog to heart failure, and I, I knew so much of this could be treated, could be reversed, but I needed prescriptions from the vet. And I asked the shelter vet, hey, you know, I'll cover the costs, can you just write them? He said, no, he's a little shelter vet, enjoy him for, you know, you'll have him for a week, three weeks, just enjoy him, he's a little shelter dog. To me, there's no such breed as a little shelter dog. And if they're in our home, we are accountable to them for their quality. So, um, you know, we adopted them, <laughs> got them many specialists, and we're blessed with 17 months with him and fell in love with him enough to allow him to change the whole course of our lives. That's amazing. I mean, you know, um, looking at what you guys do, I just, I love the videos that you share when you take them out on field, field trips, you know, and they look so happy. And I think that's what, I, I love what you're doing because you're actually teaching people and educating them that look, a, a dog hospice, palliative care, doesn't have to be depressive, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be um, so dark. You actually see very happy dogs in their wheelies running around or even in their carts. And I just, I just, you know, I'm so impressed by how you started, you know, with, with just having Monkey uh, being the inspiration for Monkey's house, you know, um, but that was in um, 2015, if I remember right. So you've come a long way um, from, from, you know, the off fostering and, and then deciding to go all in uh, to create this. But um, could you share, could you share how, how did you feel, you know, um, starting out as just a regular fosterer, you know, and then, you know, that, that impetus, because it's not easy to suddenly, you know, decide to open up your home and do this full time. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, like a lot of people think you're a bit balmy, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very challenging thing, you know, even for, for a, a regular human, not, not so much say a dog lover, but, you know, could you share people like, um, what, you know, in the, that, that thinking of when you decided to change from, from just a regular fosterer? 
So um, we had uh, fostered one dog, then that all went pretty normal. And then the second dog that we fostered um, was an old um, golden retriever. And she had a lump on her side and she was at the shelter and she was stressed. She wasn't laying down and she wouldn't eat. And this, this shelter was a great shelter. The volunteers loved, loved the dogs. So the workers cared for them. They couldn't help her calm down. So they asked if, if I could help. And I said, oh, sure, I'm Italian. I can get anything to eat. Couldn't get her to eat. I could get her to lay down, but I couldn't get her to eat. And I called the shelter and I said, something is really wrong with this dog. And they said, hey, look, she's already relaxed there. Don't worry, just have her at the shelter on Wednesday. We're gonna have that mask removed and we'll get her adopted out. And I kept looking at her laying in that bed and saying, this is the wrong move. If, if this was my dog, I would not do the surgery. And um, I brought her to my vet because I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could get the shelter to, to hear what I was saying. And to be fully honest, they're not used to fosters having a strong opinion, I guess. Um, you know, like I, I get it. But so I, I brought her to my vet and um, my vet validated my concerns. Um, and I spoke to the shelter again and uh, they said, you know, just have her here 730, don't worry. So I found out who was going to do the surgery and I made an appointment at their office like a regular well check. And I filled out the forms as if this was my dog. And then the tech left the room and the vet walked in and I burst into tears. I said, this is not my dog. I'm just her foster. You're supposed to do surgery with her. And something is really, really wrong. I told her what we've been doing, what we tried. And this, that was amazing. So this was an evening appointment and I could have been conceived as a crazy person. Um, but the vet empowered me. She, she was 99% sure the dog had a brain tumor. And she, she said, you know, you, you advocated for this dog. You fought for this dog. She said, God forbid I end up like this. I, I would hope that there'd be someone that would scream and shout and get in the way of what was supposed to be my ending. And um, she, she really made me, you know, she said, your dog has a, a brain tumor, not long to live. And she made me feel empowered, which I think is an incredible gift. Um, but that journey with Goldie that we had, we, we adopted her um, and we, we did yeah, put her down. It was it was a funny thing, Michelle. So we were fostering her, and Michelle comes, you know, tells me the whole story, you know, and, and we know that you know she's terminal. And Michelle says, "Oh, we have to we have to adopt Goldie," and I'm kind of confused, right? Because we're fostering her, so we're already fostering her. And what Michelle said stuck to me to this day, right? She said she's not going to heaven without a family. So, Goldie Allen, yeah. Sorry, I'm choked, getting choked up. So Goldie Allen you know, was with us for another couple of weeks and then, you know, made her way to the Rainbow Bridge. But that journey with her, that frustration, I mean, cause it was angst, she, she was not my dog. Um, the journey helped me see that there is, there is no resources out there for dogs with terminal problems that are homeless, nothing, zero. And even if, even if they're at the shelter and they have something obvious, like a 15 pound tumor hanging off their side, Unless there's someone out there that says, hey, let's let's figure this out. Let's get a GoFundMe. Let's find a creative rescue. There's nothing. There's zero for those dogs. And so it set us, Goldie, I think, was 2010. Um, and it set us on a journey of trying to figure out how we could do this. Because for the most part, we would adopt the dogs and provide them the care that they needed, um, which is an expensive side gig. <laughs> um, and we kept thinking there's got to be a way that we can do this on a bigger scale scale and 
um, help more dogs and get other people, encourage or inspire other people to help more dogs. Mm -hmm. And um, really, when Monkey passed, his grief was moving through the grief of losing him is what made us sit down and, and try to chip away at paws and chip away at the number one secret. Things that are not fun that need to get done when you're starting to, you know, responsibly open a nonprofit. But it gave us something to do with that grief besides be sad. And to this day, it gives us an opportunity to talk about him and how cool he was and how much we loved him. So um, grief had a lot to getting us started. And the other motivation for continuing is that I hate that these dogs are abandoned at the worst time in their life, whether it's that their owner died or the family can't afford vet care or the family chooses not to pursue vet care. One of the shelters we work with has a rescue there that will pay for the vet exam. And if it's appropriate for euthanasia with the family present and so many people say, no, we'll just leave them here. And uh, that, that's awful. That's awful. So we try to make up for all that. Wow. Were you always an animal lover, even when you were a child? Yes. <laughs> we yeah. We we uh we we both we both grew up with animals. We both grew up with horses. Uh, you name you name it. We probably had the animals. And even, then when we got married, right? We, we the first adoption was a was a little dog named Xavier, uh, and then a couple of the cats and. Then we moved on this, we have this, eventually 20 years ago, we moved to this little six acre farm that we have. And we've had quite a few different type of animals here as well. You, you name it, if it's missing a leg or a wing, <laughs> we're good. So you've always had a history of bringing home some, some animal to take care of and, and, and give a home. Wow, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, starting, starting a hospice care, because it's, um, I believe it's a charity status, is it 501? I think mm -hmm. in the U.S. you call it a 501C or something like that. 501C3. Yeah. Um, what was like um, the logistics of setting it up, you know, for you? W was it challenging? You know, it, it wasn't. It was just paperwork that's filed with the IRS. We had a friend who's an accountant who um, helped us with some of it. Um, but it was it was... Just, it was just annoying. It wasn't particularly difficult. No, it's, I would just say if anybody wants to set up a nonprofit, like Michelle said, it's a lot of paperwork, but just make sure you get it right because when you're working with the government, um, initially our name wasn't correct, I think. On it's, it's, still, it's still not, it's still not 100% correct. The, the state was, of New Jersey doesn't recognize apostrophes. Oh. Um, so, so they, and they changed our name to Monkey House animal sanctuary which sounds like we take exotics and that's truly not what we do so we had to do a dba at doing business as right. monkey's house a dog hospice in sanctuary which is what you know what was our initial name um you know so it's just one of those things but you know the frustrating thing was that um during during the time where we were trying to figure out how to do this and, and get the logistics i um took nutrition classes took behavioral classes took any kind of information, any kind of training that I could get. And people just looked at me like I was an idiot. And all of a sudden you get a 501c3 and a website and people give you credibility. And I thought, that doesn't give me credibility. Ask me how I'm feeding these dogs. 
Ask me how I make the decisions about when it's time to put them down. Ask me how they're put down. Ask me who walks them every day. That's what should give credibility, not paperwork and a website. Um, you know, so that that's part of the journey. So I understand you're, you're a retired registered nurse. So that, that's a yes. very useful um, to set of tools in, in you know, your toolkit to actually help um, take care of, you know, like a hospice care for, for the dogs. Um, would you say, what was the difference in, in terms of how you, you know, deal with the humans and deal with the dogs or no difference for you in terms of how you do it? Um, it's way better doing it with the dogs. I was a young nurse in the late 80s um, when payment plans were the DRGs and um, the hospitals would say that death isn't an acceptable outcome. And I'm competitive by nature and I also cared about my patients. And if I had, I didn't want to have any part in causing their death or having something be considered a failure. And um, so I may have wrestled with this concept more than the average person. Death is not an acceptable outcome. And, and in wrestling with it, you can't stop death. You can't, there's, you're powerless as death, death just happens. But what powerless is making plans about what you, about controlling a much, as much about the situation as you can. So I would encourage families to bring in their favorite Afghan, to bring in pictures from home to play some music that's their favorite music. My, my poor bosses that were not necessarily animal lovers, I would get hesitations. Um, but it was a challenge. What's so much better with dogs is um, they live in the moment and they don't worry about what doesn't work today. If, if, you know, if something's good, something's good. They don't look at their Christmas tree and think I'm never gonna see my Christmas ornaments again. Or, you know, I wish I could talk to Uncle Fred. You know, it's a shame he's unreachable by phone. I, you know, they, they don't have these regrets. They're like, hey, let's play ball. Or, you know, you haven't rubbed my belly enough. Or someone said that there's liverwurst in the refrigerator. You know, that's, they make the very best out of the moment and there's no regrets. Wow. Yeah, I, I would just say one thing. I agree with Michelle that, um, one thing, become as knowledgeable as you can on your pet's health, right? If they're diagnosed with something, get as much knowledge as you can. Yes, you, you might not be like Michelle and, and have the medical background, but I, I don't either. And I've learned quite a bit, um, you know, through the past five years on how to care for these dogs. And uh, I would say you need to have a great relationship with your veterinarian. Um, and also, I think you may agree to this and, and that if you, we, we use traditional veterinary care, but also non-traditional. And if you want to do both, if you have a traditional vet, just make sure that they're, you know, they may not be quote non-traditional, but they may be up for you seeking out, you know, alternatives. And, you know, if they're not, or if you don't have a good relationship with your veterinarian, then maybe you should, you know, find another veterinarian that, that's going to work with you and that's going to be uh, on your side and your pet's side. Yeah, wow. You know, in Singapore, we don't actually have alternative holistic vets here. Not like Dr. Judy Morgan, you know, um, that kind of. We have um, conventionally trained vets who might offer TCM, acupuncture, you know, like certain modalities. But if you're 
talking about food as the foundation, you know, of care and nutrition. Um, every single clinic that I've been in Singapore, they all sell prescription diet. And they'll tell you like, you know, come for the annual vaccination, you know, the usual ladidas. And so for me, I'm actually quite lucky because I have a vet in my neighborhood who also practices TCBM. And, you know, uh, she's open to me feeding raw or fresh food. So she's supportive in that way. But I found because I'm a rescuer and I'm an independent rescuer, so everything comes out of my pocket. I don't normally crowd fund because I don't know, maybe it's uh, the fact that there's a lot of donation fatigue in Singapore. Singapore's a very small island. We're about, I don't know, maybe 5.7 million people. It takes one hour to drive from one end, one end of the island to the other. We're, we're, we're that small, <laughs> you know? Um, so normally, like for me, I would usually fund my own rescues and whatever treatment costs. And once in a while, I'll get donations from people who know me and they trust me. But to do it on the scale that you do as a, as a non-profit, um, that's something that I thought about. But, um, you know, I, I'm not there yet, you know, because I, I think it, it takes another level of commitment because you have to do auditing and, and uh, you know, like regulations as a, as a charity organization. So, you know, like funding is it easy for you to fund? Because I know it's not cheap to do, you know, um, to provide the medical treatments for seniors in palliative care, especially when you, they already come with a whole lot of, of illnesses, you know. Um, yeah. You know, uh, how do you manage? Well, yeah, I guess I could start. So first I want to explain that this is all done out of our home. Right. We do have what we call Forever Fosters, and we have about, what, eight dogs right now and Forever Fosters. But generally, we have 25 plus or minus dogs here at any one time. Uh, so there's two things good about that, right? We want to them to have a home environment, a loving home environment, right? We don't want them in kennels. We have nothing here that resembles kennels at all. Um, so that's number one. The nice thing about that, besides you know, them being in a home environment, is that we luckily we don't have the expense of having additional building, right? There are, there's a lot of extra expenses. I mean, we've converted our garage and some of the rooms, and we had to put HVAC, air conditioning, and heating in it. Um, so yes, there's more expenses in that way. But there's not like we don't have to pay rent. So that that's a very good thing that we do. But uh, we we have a really good batch of supporters uh, that are very supportive of us. You know, um, and you know, it's like any any nonprofit. We have T-shirt campaigns. We have I do a calendar every year. Uh, you know, I just wrote a book, so hopefully that will bring a little bit of money in. Those type of things, Michelle. Yeah, you know, what was hard for me was um, in the olden days, if money was tight, I would just wait till the next paycheck. Now you're never, you know, you're you're as good as your next fundraiser, um, and. You can budget all you want. You can have your board approve the budget for the next year, having it be the same amount of money that you spend the year before. But one sick dog can burn through a lot of money very fast. Um, so it's you have to be innovative. Now, for, for us, we really don't like our dogs in hospitals. We really don't like to take our dogs to emergency rooms. We really believe that the best care 
is at home, it's the best place to live, and it's the best place to die. We won't put them at risk by avoiding emergency rooms, but we do as much as we can here, which does help keep the expenses down. Um, we have oxygen, we have the ability to use nebulizers, we have emergency drugs. Um, and, you know, so we're prepared for emergencies as they come up. But like everyone else right now, you know, our monthly donor, donors are down. And I understand people are out of work, you know, with the pandemic, with everything that's going on in the world, times are uncertain. So we struggle like everyone else does. I will say one thing that we do have, you know, so a lot of people do donate financially. We also have an Amazon wish list. Uh, so, and that'll be, you know, certain supplies that we run through every week, every month. Uh, so we'll have items on there and then, you know, people will, people like to go there and see what they're, they're you know, they're donating in a sense. So that works out nice for us as well. But like Michelle said, we, because of COVID-19, the donations are down quite a bit. And that's totally understandable. We've since starting uh, Monkey's House in 2015 till now, which is five years. I mean, have you ever, did it ever come to a point where, you know, you ever thought like, this is getting too hard, you know, uh, be it, you know, emotionally hard or physically hard. Did you ever think about, you know, closing, closing shop or stopping, you know, taking it private? Never once. Never once. Never once. No. So sometimes um, we'll hit a rough spot. We'll, we'll lose two dogs in a short period of time. Um, and so I'll, if you were going to go to the beach, you would say, well, I'm going to wait till I'm feeling healthy and until my car is in good shape and I'm going to wait for everything to be right and the weather's good and I'm going to go to the beach. Um, when we've had too much loss and we need to change the juju here, we need to up the, increase the feelings. We grab a field trip. We all, we all get together and we go, we're blessed to have an incredible volunteer support base. We call them aunts and uncles. And they used to all meet here. Right now, we're all meeting at a destination. Um, but the dogs um, have a great time. And at the end of the day, they're exhausted from too much love. <laughs> and it's the best feeling in the world. And it's the best cure for feeling overwhelmed or for having the blues. It really is. Um, and I can count on it every single time to work. I, I couldn't live with myself if we stopped because um, what's happening to the dogs does not stop. Yeah, and I, I, I'd add, you know, at times it, it is tough, right? Because you're, you're working 24 seven. I have a full-time regular job besides this job, right? So I have a couple of jobs. Michelle has a full-time job, probably 20 hours a day. But um, what I would say is that sometimes it, it does get very hard. But when, when you, uh, you know, as the supporters uh, on through Facebook, right? So you, as you said, you see the post every night that we put out. And, you know, I read the comments. I, read, I try to read all the comments. And it really inspires me. And it uplifts us when we see that. Because sometimes we do, like anybody else, it wears us down at times. But seeing that and, and seeing things like, what did somebody say? You know, a friend I, I, adopted a 15 year old dog yesterday. She said we, we were part of the inspiration for yeah. that. It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, someone said they adopted a dog, a senior dog with medical issues because they thought that they could do it from following us. You know, 
when I do a post, my my posts are more fun, but I try to be a little bit upbeat. Michelle's are fun too, but she's also very educational, right? So you can learn quite a bit by following Michelle. The two of you are a very interesting couple. Um, you know, I think uh, Michelle's superpower is in terms of the, the medical care, you know, her, her, her skills. And I sort of get a sense from Jeff is that you are like the operations uh, man, you know, in terms of logistics planning behind uh, Monkey's House. You know, that, that's the vibe that I seem to be getting from the both of you, you know. Um, would you say um, that's your superpower? What is your superpower, Jeff? Um, I think I am super organized. Uh, I think you're right. I, I call myself the back office guy, right? Not that I don't help with all the dogs because I, you know, I'll, a lot of times I'll be feeding the dogs. Uh, I'll be helping Michelle. She's the one that will plan the, the menus though, right? The, the, uh, each, each dog gets a uh, tailored meal, uh, you know, nutrition wise and Michelle plans that. But then I, I can feed them and I can do everything with the dogs. But I think my strong suit is the organizing, I do all the fundraising, I do all the, you know, any, the website and, and different things like that, so. He wears a lot of hats. Mine says dogs, <laughs> his says everything else. <laughs> yeah, Michelle really is the one though, that she's, I have to say this, and I, I, I'll brag about her a little bit, is, you know, I think the nursing background helps a lot, but she has learned, like from Dr. Judy Morgan and from all others. Dr. She's, yeah, from Dr. Becker, from 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 Rodney, from uh, from a bunch of others, she's learned so much. I, I can't believe she's like a sponge. But yet, you know, I won't say that. But it's it's funny. We, if you ever saw our and we have a video somewhere, but if you saw our counter, our feeding counter, it it looks like something that scientists came up with. There's a, there's a there's a marker for each bowl, what type of bowl they get, what size bowl they get, what kind of base food, because we feed all different, like some is raw, some is home cooked, but it could be turkey, beef, um, sometimes it's even exotic type things like like alpaca, um, it depends on the, and the condition of the dogs and all the different supplements and then they do get traditional medicine. Um, but it's just, it's unbelievable. But like I tell people, don't look at our laundry room. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so the, with the dogs, I'm very organized with everything else, not so much. Well, when you have seniors and I, you know, and I've taken care of a few and especially when it's bigger dogs, they, I did a lot of laundry. I mean, like it's, it's common for my, yeah. for my washing machine to be on like four full cycle loads a day, you know, <laughs> and, you know, this, I only have like, yeah. there's only like two humans in my home at any one time, but we might have different kinds of animals coming and going, but the amount of laundry that we do, is all animal related. Um, so I've always, you know, was thinking, one day I should invest in a commercial washing machine because right now, uh, industrial washing machine, because right now I just have the regular home one and I, I, I go through it and it breaks down within, I don't know, a year or so, <laughs> just, just on the amount of washing and my tumble dryer as well. You know, I think the crisis in my home is when the washer breaks down, <laughs> you know, for me, it's, it's a big crisis. If my, if my dryer is down or my washing machine is down, then I have to call my neighbor. Luckily, I have very good neighbors here. So I stay, I stay in a high-rise flat. So I'll just call them up and say, can I please borrow your washing machine? <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> so I'll break bags of, of stuff and then I'll do it while I try to get a new one. But yeah, I think for a rescuer, if you have a lot of animals, the the laundry is very important. If that breaks down, you know, like, oh my gosh, no. no. We, so we have, we, we luckily do have an industrial washing machine. Matter of fact, it's so industrial, you have to stand on a stool to put the soap in the top. Wow. It's that big. Wow. Uh, but it, it runs three times a day. Yeah, the probably about, cycle is five Gs. Yeah, it, it's, it's probably about three times a day that thing runs. And we do have, we hope, we always plan on the weather because we hang a lot of ours outside because we have so much, like big blankets, beds. So, um, you know, when we know it's going to be a nice sunny day, it's like five loads that day. <laughs> wow, how big is But when it's broke, our washer goes 24-7 when it's broke. Our inside one doesn't get a, doesn't get a break. What? So, so what's the capacity of your industrial washing machine? Just out of curiosity. I can't remember what to say. I would say it's about three or four normal washing machine loads. Okay, because yeah. I bought my current washing machine is so-called the biggest one that I could afford to buy, you know, on a special. And that's like um, 10 kilograms. Um, I don't know what's that in pounds, um, but that's 10 kilos. 2.2 times 2.2, so it's like 22 pounds. Oh, I just, I think it's 60. Yeah. So I just about a 60. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I've, yeah. So I've had friends who tell me, you know, the amount of the, the loads that I do sometimes, you know, I might, I might be better off getting an industrial washer and tumble dryer. But I, I live in a small flat. I only live in a flat that's about just under 800 square feet. So I don't know if I have the space because I already have a lot of freezers and chest freezers for my raw food. <laughs> Friends who come. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It would... <laughs> I've had friends. Who I don't come. know if it would work. <laughs> I don't know if it would work in your house because the industrial machine we have is in our garage on concrete. Because actually, when it runs, like Michelle says, it's 5G. It's like it spins so fast. You actually can be upstairs and feel the house like just vib not shaking but vibrating because it's it's, it's so it's much bolted it's bolted in five inches of concrete okay and you still feel the house vibrating. okay sounds like so you can make your whole high rise do this <laughs> okay so i think they might kick me out if that if that was to happen so i'll stick with i'll stick with my samsung washer <laughs> oh yeah but i i'm just you know, so impressed by the dedication and work that you guys do because it's really physically tiring. And I love the fact that the level of care, I call what you do like almost like a six-star um, hotel service because you customize every meal plan for every... I mean, you treat every dog that comes into your home as an individual and you, and you, and whatever treatments that you do, the food therapy, from what I understand is customized you know and i'm just i'm just impressed because not a lot of hospice dog hospice cares um you know they they don't do that they don't do that they will just give the standard like portion wise maybe based on the dog size but the food's all the same and that's something we we hope to change i'm grateful for everyone who embraces a hospice pet i, I really am it's it's hard it's kind of lonely because you don't go to adoption events. Um, it's, it's, it's very lonely. But prolonging life, just to prolong life, is not, um, they deserve better. They deserve better. So to take a dog just to let it live its life out sleeping in a bed, 
that's that's not they, they deserve so much more and it really takes very little to give them so much more and i have to tell you Amos, when we started all this we wanted to be noble we wanted to do the right thing and over time the dogs have given us so much more so much more back than what we could ever have given them and people say i don't know how you can bear to lose so many dogs and the day we lose a dog if you looked in my eyes you would think this was the first dog i've ever lost um but what i can tell you is that i can look back and i know that we gave them the best life possible and that we have no regrets and that we didn't put them to sleep because they were 17. We didn't put them to sleep because they had heart failure. We put them to sleep because there was nothing left that we could do for their body to bring quality to them. And that's, and that's it. Sometimes we're, they'll pass on their own if they're comfortable. We allow them to pass on their own. But even then, we're turning them. Um, if they're a bigger dog and they like to sleep in the sunshine, we have them in a wagon. We move them from crack in the sun, you know, from, from window to window to keep them in the sunlight. Um, we had a dog that was passing in the winter and he loved to be outdoors and the mobile vet came and we asked them to wait a minute and we brought a mattress outside, heating pads, put the dog on the heating pads and blankets, let him have the sun on his face just a teeny bit and then proceeded. Um, so it's important to us to, to make it be the best life and the best death. Wow. The way you do it is so inspiring, really. I wish every single rescue would even like look at what you do because how you do it actually improves the quality of care and the quality of life of the dog and a lot of a lot of people actually really they don't think about quality of care they think of quantity they think of the time they think like oh one one month three mm -hmm. weeks you know max you know um but what you do because of the way you you take care of them and feed them and use nutrition to help them and you know um essential oils uh which uh you know i think is a love that you and i both share with animalio you know um you know we see we see such a you know they blossom you know under 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 palliative care under your care you know they they sort of the personalities come out and i just think that's it's just so inspiring, you know, like I, it's very moving. Every time I see a post, it's one of my favorite feats that I like to look at because, you know, um, you celebrate their life even in their twilight and it's the best twilight that, you know, they would ever have to the, to the point where, you know, even in death, it's so, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's sad when they pass, but it's not, you know, like depressive sad. I mean, there's a difference in, in the sadness because you celebrate their life, you know, and their passing as part of, of life, the circle of life and death. And how you guys do it, I just think it's, it's just amazing because me taking care of the few animals that I have, um, you know, compared to what you do, I just think like, wow, you guys are so amazing. <laughs> Truly is. Thank, thank, thank you, you. Amos. Thank you. You know, I think that... Um, every single person has something inside them that they're meant to do and if i told you the story of my life and how crazy it was that here i am and, and, and who jeff and i are on this farm that it, this property we bought it's perfect for this it's off the road it's long it's narrow it's 
we were guided to where we are now. Even my years as a nurse, like I, the, the conversations I had with patients that, that helped me now in, in looking at a dog and trying to assess how much pain they're in, um, what they may be feeling, all the things that people vocalized to me um, that I could understand. It helps me to uh, evaluate the dogs. It's, it's just a crazy journey that brought us here. And I think that everybody has something in them that they're supposed to do. And I just feel blessed enough to have found it and to have a husband that's wonderful enough and slightly crazy enough to help me with it. Um, and it's, we just feel very blessed. Well, I, I look at you and I think Monkey's House is truly, you know, a husband and wife team, you know, um, do you, but being, you know, even in, in this vets, I, I call it like a, a um, social venture, you know, um, how do you guys come about to make decisions together? You know, because, you know, being married and making life decisions is one thing, but. <laughs> so, so if I, during a pandemic. Being married and making decisions together during your pandemic. The, 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 yeah, the pandemic has been has been uh, has been tough. I don't think it's been tough. I, I think it's about the same for us, relationship-wise. But I, but truthfully, you know, all of our aunts and uncles, our, like Michelle said, our, our volunteers are called aunts and uncles, right? Because we want them really to be part of the family. Um, they, because we're social distancing, they haven't been out, and it's just really us taking care of everything. And it, it you know, it gets tough at times, but. But I do, yes, there are things, like I said, I do all the back office stuff, you know? I, I never, I would, I think the first dog I ever, when we first started, we had, we had a dog called Daisy May. And Daisy May was a little chihuahua. I think she might've been a, a, you know, almost wild at one time. She was feral, right? yeah. Feral, right? And she, she was so bad, badly in bad shape. She had like the ram horns, hit nails, you know, they were never trimmed. Um, she had a huge hernia. She had two hernias. Yeah, she had two hernias and she was no hair. And she actually, this is before we had anything organized. We just started and she was in the garage. You had to wear basically falcon gloves, like these big gloves to pick her up because she was so wild. Um, and, but she had so many issues. And I actually, I, I thought to myself, and I think I might have said it to Michelle, I said, don't you think the best thing is to, is to help assist her to heaven? Like, I think it's her time. And Michelle says, no, 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 we have to give her time. I, I, just give her some time. And, and I'm like, really? I think this dog really needs to go. And, uh, you know, two years later, she was still with us. And she was doing terrific. Her hair grew back. I mean, she had a, she, she, we called her reconditioned, right? They, everything, uh, Dr. Judy Morgan did the, the surgeries. Um, but, Put her parts back. Yeah, but so after that, I do not question Michelle, right? She really does know what she's talking about. And, you know, the thing is, you have to give the dog a chance. Um, Michelle knows when that chance is, and she also knows when it's, there is no more, um, and, and think we have to help the dog. But I think those are all Michelle's decisions. Uh, you know, when it comes to the back office stuff, they're more my decisions. Um, so we, you know, and, and like I said, we. The, my, our book just came out, right? And when we first started writing the book, I, I said, Michelle, can you help me write this book? And Michelle was so busy with everything. And it seemed like we started clashing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write the book. You're going to help me here and there. Um, so we got the book done. Um, if I could show you, this is just, Michelle bought this picture for me. But there's a picture of the book. Oh, wow. It's called Where Dogs Go to yes. Live, right? 
it's it's inspiring stories of hospice dogs living in the moment and it really is that because i highlight 37 of the dogs that have come and gone some are still here um, what do we have we've saved over well over 100 dogs now 107 now. 107 dogs now we've we've rescued and saved um from from being euthanized right um so hopefully if anybody's interested in, in hearing about these stories and, and kind of what we do there's a couple chapters in there about um, all the different modalities that we'll use uh, there's a, a big thing that michelle said she likes to call it sofa medicine she michelle termed this thing sofa medicine and that's what things that you can do at home with your dog if, if the dog has maybe kidney or hydration problems you can give fluids it's not a difficult thing to do you know Michelle taught me how to do it, and it's, it is relatively easy. Again, you can always talk to your vets. Uh, but all the different things you can do at home, which is Michelle called sofa medicine. People will say, how much are you going to put this dog through? And that's a very subjective question, and it's your perception of how you do it. If your dog is a terrified of being in the car and terrified of new people, taking them out of your house is, the wrong, is putting them through too much. But um, we socialize the dogs pretty right from the start to the car, whatever it takes to get them comfortable in the car. Sometimes it's riding with one other person. Sometimes it's an endless supply of bully sticks. Um, whatever it is, um, we get them comfortable in the car. We get them comfortable at the vet's office to the point where th we go every Wednesday for rehab. We take quite a few of the dogs and the dogs, they run to get on the bus. They, they run there. And they, they can't wait. I think it's a different time. They get cookies that they aren't going to get at home. They get extra snuggles. Um, but so, so that if they aren't feeling well and I have to run them there for an x-ray or for some blood work, it's not putting them through too much. But for the most part, we can do quite a bit here at home. Breathing treatments, oxygen, fluids, um, aggressive antibiotics. You know, if, if, like I said, if we can do it on the sofa, we do it. Well, you know, I'm really excited to get your book. Um, will it be on Amazon? Because uh, I live in Singapore, so I have to figure out how to get your book when it comes out. <laughs> uh. Yes, it's, it's on Amazon. It just went up on Amazon yesterday, I believe. Uh, so it's on Amazon uh, and, and through a lot of other bookstores as well. And you can, you can get it almost anywhere because there is a distribution. Like if you went to, in the US, if you went to Barnes & Noble, uh, you know, if they don't have it in stock, they can get it in stock for you. Um, but yeah, online, different different avenues. A lot of people do use Amazon, and it's an ebook and it's a paperback book as well. But if you have trouble, Amory, give us a call. We'll, we'll hook oh, you up. Oh, you know, <laughs> if I could get you guys to autograph a book for me, you know, I would love that. I would love that because. Um, you know, I, I had a look through it at some of the stories you, you sent me to, you know, and I can say that, you know, this book, I can't wait to actually get it as a paperback because, you know, um, the stories that you put in there are really, really inspiring and so much, you know, for people who don't understand, you know, how to take care of seniors, you know, because a lot of people, they have dogs when they're young, but the minute they get old, um, you know, the, you know they, they sort of give up, you know, and, and for those who actually want to take in and adopt senior dogs, you know, um, to do it from home, you know, just being inspired by what you do, you know, I just think it's, it's so amazing. And 
your sofa medicine, I think, yes, if you can teach, you know, people to do simple things at home, it demystifies the fact that, oh, it's a lot of, you know, like it's really difficult, the learning curve, they can't do it, they need a, a, a professional to do it. I mean, like, even for myself, the first time I did subcut fluids, um, you know, for, for my first kidney cat, I was nervous, you know. Um, no, actually, the very first subcut I did was for my senior stray dog. He came from uh, one of the off islands in Singapore. And the basically, the shelter that uh, my friend volunteered at, she told me, like, you know, he's got a lot of issues and, you know, they actually have to think about putting him down. And they, they felt very bad about it because his condition was really poor. The, you know, the prognosis was poor. So I actually went to the hospital where he was having treatment. And I looked at him and they told me he's feral. No one can touch him. He has to be muzzled all the time. And he stinks to high heaven because he had Dermodex mange and stuff. And, you know, I looked at him and... He sounds beautiful already. The eye contact we had, you know, like I look at you, he looked at me and I, I knew instantly he wasn't ready to go yet. So I told, you know, I, I, I spoke to my flatmate because my flatmate is also uh, another animal lover. That's the only reason why, you know, I've got 12 cats and one dog currently at home. But, you know, um, you know, we discussed this with my friend. So the three of us actually pulled our resources together and said, like, I'm going to bring him home. I will, I will take care of him. Don't put him down. He's not ready to go yet. So we actually got someone to donate um, two three-feet cages, which we combined together because um, he was new. And I live in a, like I said, a small flat. So, you know, space-wise, I had to think about logistics because I have an open-plan home. I don't have bedrooms. I have a, 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 like an open studio kind of concept. So I had to quarantine him in a way because I had another dog, a younger dog. So we took, took him in and I remember telling the vet, can you give him a medicated bath because, you know, fleas and, you know, ticks and whatnot. Because, you know, I have, I have so many animals at home. I don't want to bring anything back because he was in the hospital for, for quite a while. So I thought like, okay, he should be clean, right? No, he came in the first night I used Aroma Boost on him from Dr. Melissa Shelton's Animalio. And I put it on his fur. Next thing I knew, ticks were migrating out. You know, it was like Moses and the Red Sea. They suddenly jumped ship and they were scurrying out of the cage. And luckily my floor is white towels. So I, could start, I started seeing things coming out and I spent, I think, Almost 24 hours, I did not sleep that day. For 24 hours, I literally sat by the cage and I was picking things out, <laughs> putting them in alcohol. <laughs> oh so, you know, and I was so angry. I was like, I told the vet, the hospital, I was like, I thought you, you, you medicate, you know, like did the medicated bath wash and I don't know, topical, whatever, that they, they use Brevecto on him. And, you know, it didn't work, you know, and I'm like, you know, so that was like, wow. But Bear, I called him Bear because his name was called Mange Boy. Oh. You know, it's such a horrible <laughs> name. And I told, I told the shelter people, yeah. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going, I refuse to call him Mange Boy. That's very bad juju for him. You know, we are changing his life. 
And if he's going to, you know, pass in my home, he's going to have at least a nicer, a nicer name. So I just thought of him, he's a brown, you know, like a mongrel. Um, we all have mongrels here. So, um, you know, I called him Bear because he was just so, you know, spiritually independent. But he couldn't walk. And we gave him the raw food. And that first few weeks, he had massive detox, diarrhea stuff coming out. And we had to change it, you know, so lots of washing. And he couldn't walk. But within the first month, we started to make him, you know, slowly walk. I, I would put a, I would have a trolley and a dog crate. And then I'll try and get him, transfer him from his cage. He couldn't even get out of his cage. That was how weak it was, you know, and put him in. And then I will push him out of my flat. Then we'll take the lift down. I stay on the 20th story, on the 20th floor, bring him down. And then I'll bring him out. And a lot of my neighbors were wondering like, what am I transporting in my trolley, you know? Because usually when they see a big trolley <laughs> like that, it's, you know, like cargo goods or something. But I just dock crate and they're all very curious. So I have all these aunties and uncles who are looking in and like, what do you have in there? And then they see this like, you know, old man and he's very patchy and skinny. He's really like bony and skin. But over the few first few months with the food therapy, you know, and the nutraceuticals that I gave him, he, he got stronger. He could actually start walking out of the door. I didn't have to use the trolley after that, you know, and he actually enjoyed going for long walks, but he will, and him being a feral island dog, he likes to go through bushes. So I would actually have to hold him on a, on a harness and a leash and we'll have to climb up slopes, go through bushes and stuff because he didn't understand the concept of, you know, a pavement. He said, okay, this is a straight line. I'm going to go through there. And I like to poop in, in, on the slope, you know, in the jungle or something. So I'm like, okay, so I used to follow him, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, so, you know, what you do and what I do is on a very small scale, but what you do is every day, you know, and you touch so many lives and I'm just, you know, it's so inspiring. And I keep telling myself like, you know, one day I must, I, I want to interview the both of you because what you do changes people's concept of palliative care. You know, what, what it means to have a dog hospice, the quality of care and all these so-called sad doggies that come in, you know, what you do with them is basically they go into monkey's house, they come out very energetic and happy, they're bouncing away, you know, even if it's on a, on a wheelie, on a, on a cart. And that actually, when people see that change, it, makes, it really makes them think like, oh, you know, um, death is not that sad, not so miserable and horrible because a lot of dog owners, they always tell me like, oh, when my dog dies, I don't want any more dogs because it's too painful, you know. Um, but seeing what you do, celebrating the death, going on field trips with everyone to, you know, to, to push up the, 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 the downside and celebrate life, you know, as it is. Um, all I can say is it's so inspiring. What you guys, you guys are angels on earth. I mean, honestly. Well, one of Michelle's quotes of many that she has, which, which I really still remember and I really like, I think I might even have it in the book. It's just because you're dying doesn't mean you can't live, right? I mean, think about that. And, and, and when we see this with the dogs, like hopefully as humans, we can see that and we can do that because 
most of us, um, you know, if, if you get diagnosed with something that's terminal, you know, it's, yeah, it's horrible, but there's still living to be done, even for us, right? So uh, these dogs, like Michelle said, the dogs live day by day, by day. they live for the moment and they enjoy their lives up, up until the end. Uh, we should do the same thing, right? So hopefully you and, and everybody else should, you know, maybe maybe take some lessons from these dogs and, and, and enjoy life and enjoy the moments that we do have. Whoa. I know so many times, um, before there was advanced directives, um, someone would be dying, a family member would be dying, and the family would be in our conference room and, and they'd be trying to figure out what their loved one would want. And, and you would hear him say, mom hung on to that dog, he peed and pooped everywhere, he stunk and she wouldn't let him go. I don't think we should let mom go yet. It, it's amazing how much the family dog plays in decision-making when people haven't already laid out what it is that they want for their end-of-life care. And so I think the ones, the dogs that um, aren't convenient anymore that end up at the shelter, I think that sends a dangerous precedent to the kids that it's okay to get rid of beings that aren't convenient. Um, but I think they can be great teachers on how to love and how to nurture. And we learn from the dogs and they give us so much love. I mean, this is not a one-way street. We get back from them so much more than we give. And um, there's quite a bit of life and love to be had at the end of life and in the final moments. Well, all I, all I can say is I, I look forward to getting your book because I think your book will really educate and inspire you know, people around the world. And it's not just, you know, the older people, I think even younger, the younger generation where they will look at the family dog as, you know, not, not as an inconvenience, you know, but to teach them because like for me, and I think the same for you, um, the animals, they really teach us a lot in terms of how we should look at life, look at death, how we should celebrate the moment living in the now, you know, and like, Look, like, look, this dog has lost all his limbs, but he's happy. He's running around and, and, and enjoying life. And, oh, you know, and that is what I think for a lot of people, especially with this pandemic, you know, with COVID-19 going around, you know, people tend to start feeling sorry for themselves a bit too much, you know, they, and, and they sort of go into that me, me, me mode where they think, oh, uh, life is, uh, why, why does it have to happen to me? And I think that's where the animals play a huge role in inspiring us to become better human beings, you know, to, to, to reach our potential. Because when you see, you know, not only how they, they thrive in the right conditions that you provide at Monkey House, you know, um, they actually make you become even better, you know. I think they inspire you to grow. And I just think that, you know, seeing your journey um, and seeing how both of you, you know, I think all I can say is the, the, the positive love and energy that comes from caring for the animals, you know, the karma, you know, it, it, it goes into you and then you generate out and then you inspire so many, you know, aunts and aunties and uncles to come and help. And that's the movement that you've created with Monkey's House, which... I, you know, I just think that everyone should read your book and, and, and look at it because it's just something, you know, what you do is truly amazing. 
you know, the quality of care, the, the ethics that, 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 you know, your moral code, you know, how you advocate for them, you know, how you make sure that they don't suffer. You know, it's always about quality of care right to the very end. And, you know, if everyone could learn from you and be inspired by the stories that you share in your book, we will live in a better world. This world will be so much better. Thank you. Thank we, you. we got some very good uh, endorsements for the book. Um, a, lot of, a lot of veterinarians and, and other people. Um, and I, a couple of them actually said, you said that they, uh, they said that this book is just right for this time. It's inspiring. It's uplifting. You know, the stories in the book is, um, which made me feel really good to listen. Well, um, I, I just think it's amazing. This, this, you know, like I said, I can't wait for to, to get it in, 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 a, in, a, in a physical form, you know, and share it because I love reading these and I like to share it with my friends. So, you know, um, I will put the links down uh, in the podcast show notes for everyone so that they can, they can, uh, they know, know where to, to buy it on Amazon, you know, and, and all the good bookstores in the U S uh, for those who like me in Singapore and overseas, um, usually we'll get it from Amazon or I think, yeah, mostly Amazon or book depository for, for those. But, you know, I just think this book is so worth getting, you know, um, I don't even know how much you're selling it for. I don't care because whatever price it is, it's, it's priceless in, in my opinion, you know, um, just, just looking at the stories. But, you know, um, I just think it's amazing that you actually took the time to write it, you know. Uh, was it difficult to write the book? <laughs> no, it was, um, I guess, over two years now. I started over two years ago. Um, and, you know, writing it, was okay you know there was over two years you know there were some stops and starts kind of in the beginning uh, but i'd say the past year i really have continued on stop besides my full-time job you know in one sense uh, you know i've been working remote luckily i can with the job i have um, and my big commute i've had you know combined it was almost two and a half three hours commute each day so now i've spent that so i was able to really accelerate working on the book um, I think, you know, in writing the book, I, I will have to say that a, a lot of times I did get emotional because I'm looking at the, even when I kept reading over and making sure things are right. And it was funny. I don't know if it's certain stories on certain days would impact me more than others. Like if I could read the same story, you know, a week from today, it didn't impact me, but then another week it may. So it just, it must be how you, you know what's going on in your in your in your body and in, in your emotions of, of how it impacts you but yeah it's it was very uh it, it felt really good to write the book and, and having michelle a lot of stories of michelle's are in the book um because she's a great storyteller well but it's it's hard it's it's you know we can talk about bullwinkle who was this 80 pound coonhound who was dizzy and blind and deaf and he had heart problems and lung problems and arthritis and the list, his list was impressive, and yet he would run past you. Um, he, he lived tremendously well. One of the funniest moments in my entire life was him at the top of our deck steps, and there was like three steps to go down, and he had a harness on the hand, the lug handle, and one of our volunteers said, Bull, pay attention. And for some reason, I just got the giggles to the point where I couldn't breathe because he's a dog, he's deaf. 
he's blind, he's dizzy. <laughs> it was just not, paying attention was not a command that was going to be effective. Just holding on to him. He knew enough about steps to get down in a not pretty way, but it's just the stories, uh, the stories bring tears to my eyes and joy to my heart at the same time. Wow. So just, yeah. You guys are just inspiring because what you do, like I said, it's not easy. You know, you guys have the hugest heart. I mean, like the biggest heart I can, you know, uh, to do what you guys do. So I just, I just want to, on behalf of all the animals, I just want to say thank you for what you do because, you know, honestly, I think you're the only, um, I would say, rescue dog hospice that I've come across that delivers the kind of care, that level of care, you know, it's high quality care. You don't look at them as, oh, this is a mangy, you know, shelter dog and we'll just do it based on economics and, and budget. But you guys really go all out to try and provide the best care, you know, combining both the best of, you know, Western and, and, and um, alternative Eastern medication, you know, medicine to, to, to really work to, to make it the best situation for each dog, you know? And I think, I just wish that every, every dog hospice, not just hospice, but every shelter, you know, would, would actually look at the way they manage um, their, the care of the dogs or cats because your, what you do is so inspiring, it's so educational. And if everyone just saw, you know, the change in, in, in the animals under your care, they would actually, you know, really think like, oh, maybe we should, look at how we're taking care of our animals in the shelter, you know, and those, those shelter dogs that are, you know, deemed as, Oh, it's um, time to euthanize them. You might not have to. And then, you know, you might bring out, you know, changes in them where their behavior improves just based on nutrition, you know, the positive changes that you guys do. So really thank you, you know, from the bottom of my heart, what you do. And like I said, I can't wait for, for this where dogs go to live and everybody please get it because not only will you support monkey's house but you will learn so much from this on how to be a better human being because the animals are just inspiring <laughs> thank you thank you thank you i just i just wanted to add real quick you know I, like you were saying where you live there, there's not alternative vets there's traditional vets and our main vet is a um, very traditional vet but she's very committed to our seniors. And she's a special person in that, uh, while her beliefs are one way, um, she'll look at a dog that has 100 things wrong with them, and she'll be able to pull out the top 10 things that we can work with that will improve the other 90 things. And if you don't have access to a holistic vet, read what you can, but really just have a very good relationship with the vet with, with a vet, find one that you can really talk to. Let them help you make the very best of the last part of your pet's life because it seems to be the part that can haunt you or that can help you stand up and smile. Oh, well, you guys are amazing. You know, uh, I take my, 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 my head off because, you know, not, not many people do it. And um, how long have you guys been married? Quick, 
34 and a half years. <laughs> yep, 1986. Wait, I should I should have answered it, then he should have answered. Like we should have gone into different rooms. Well, I knew it was 1986. See, that was a trick question just to get you on your hooks. <laughs> it was. 34 and a half years. Wow. It's that that is that is amazing, you know. And I think I think doing monkey's house has actually, I don't know. Would you say has improved the quality of your marriage? Trick question here. Depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, depends, it depends on, especially now with the, with the pandemic, it depends on how much work we have to do and, and how much time we get together. The, really. the all-nighters are tough. The, the all-nighters are tough. And, and I'm not complaining. We signed up for them. We willingly signed up for those. Um, you know, I, I think like every relationship, you have to make a conscious decision to put work into it, you have to make a conscious decision to respect each other, you have to make a conscious decision to love each other no matter what. And, and and then all the magic just happens. So. Well, I I just I just you know admire um, couples who are married as long as you and to be able to do this with so many fur babies, uh, it's it's not an easy thing because you know uh, when when you take care of seniors, it requires a lot of care, and you know to see, but to see the level of care, the quality of care that you give, it always goes back to the word quality of care. What you guys do is truly, you know, to me, it's like a six star, you know, hotel service that you guys do for the animals. You know, to take them on field trips, I just think like, oh my gosh, if everyone could do that, you know, uh, can you just imagine how many dogs would be so ha so much happier? You know, and how how blessed the humans would be in growing as a human being. You know, being a better human. Um, you know, just doing it and just looking at you guys. I just think that you know, you guys have created such an amazing movement with Monkey's House. You know, what started out is just the two of you from from your own home. Uh, you know, to have so many uh, foster aunties and uncles to to volunteer now. You know. Um, and to create a movement where, you know, it's now a non-profit and, and, and getting it up and running. And how many dogs do you, have you, you know, taken care of in the five years? 107. 107 dogs. Wow. That we've, yeah. Yeah. The, that's, and you know, it, it's not all, it's, it's work, but we were on a field trip on the beach one time. And we weren't there very long. The dogs weren't up to a whole lot. And as we're walking back to the car, like we're crossing over the sand dune, the sky is completely black and we're getting like soaked, like soaked, rain on, soaked on, soaked. And you can't really run with a bunch of old dogs. And as I looked at the pictures later that we had taken, cute dog after cute dog, smiles, you could see the sky getting darker and darker and darker. And had I been out on the beach walking myself, I would have said, oh, that doesn't look good. I should head back. I think any of, any of us that was there, had we noticed the sky, we would, have, we would have headed back. But every single one of us missed it getting darker and darker and darker. And we stood there in the pouring rain wondering where the storm came from, simply because we had so much fun enjoying them enjoy themselves. Um, it, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible experience. So any, any regrets in this journey that you've done or something that you would change? Basement. basement. 
<laughs> yeah, more more room would be nice. But that's but you know, I don't think there's any regrets. No, I think I think that's what's so um that's one of the gifts the dogs give us is that it's not like someday I want to try raw or someday I want to learn more about probiotics. We don't have very long. Their clock is ticking. So figure it out now and try now. So when they leave us, um, we know there have been no regrets. When Monkey, Monkey was young. He was only, it's hard to tell because he was not well cared for prior to, prior to coming here. But he was, we're guessing he was around nine and he would go into heart failure in a blink. And he still had a young mind, but as the valves of his heart were starting to tear, we needed to decrease some of his activity and I had to keep him busy. So we would go to the drive-thru at the bank every day and visit the people. Jeff would say, why are you writing all these checks for cash for $10? Why can't you go into the Atina? And, and what are you doing with all this money? And, and I said, it's make monkey happy. I would take, I would, with Monkey and I would sit in a parking lot at the mall and we would talk about people as they were going in and make up stories. And he would just kind of look at me like, yeah, I think you're right. I took him, I took him everywhere and did as much as I could creatively to keep his mind engaged while his body was failing. And um, in the end, you know, I, I, my heart was beyond broken, but I didn't leave any, any turn, any stones unturned. And that's really the best way to be able to pick up the pieces, not right away and not easily, but the best way to be able to pick up the pieces eventually and to move forward. Wow. I think you're a very creative lady in how you tackle each, each case. You know, I, I love the fact that you're using your left brain and right brain when it, when it comes to, to each care, you know, from customization, but to entertain them, to keep them active. I mean, like, and I think I would be like your husband, like, why are you going to the bank every day and doing, you know, a menial <laughs> task, you know? <laughs> but you look at it very differently. It's like, it's not for me, it's for him. <laughs> it's for monkey. <laughs> and you can't argue that. If it's for the dog, hey, it's got to be a good dog. Yeah, so I, I love the fact that you really go out of your way to be so creative in in uh, you know get, getting them engaged you know even in their so-called physical limitations you keep their mind very active and i think you know all of all of the dogs must have they must have loved you so much honestly i i really think you know being with you was the best thing that ever happened to them and that is probably why you know they they ended up in the shelter is so that they could end up with you and their final journey because you know, it's, it's, I mean, what a way to go, honestly, that's the best way to go in life. And I think for humans, if we could do, treat our lives like that, they'll be so much better. And you, you guys are just amazing. So, so this little dog on the front here, his, that, he's a little beagle and his name was Much Love Bob. And we call him ML Bob or MLB, right? And actually, and this, this was years ago. This was 2016. 2016. So we weren't really, uh, you know, we, we just were in, started Monkey's House a year prior. And this little dog was supposed to live three to four weeks. He was with us for almost nine months, I think. And the, the funny thing was the, he was one of the, like, it's funny. Everybody loves, around, from around the globe, people lo fall in love with these dogs. But he was probably 
the first or second, uh, we call them superheroes of Monkey's House. They're all superheroes, but some are really loved by everybody from around. They've never met the dog and they fall, they literally fall in love with these dogs. And my Bob was loved by so many people that when he passed, he had over 10, no, over a thousand comments. And they weren't just RIPs, like people were writing paragraphs and paragraphs about this dog. And actually one of those, one of those stories is in the book because she said just what you said, is that, you know, here this little dog, you know, he's average, he's, um, he's supposed to be here four months, he's here nine months. And she said, it's because he didn't want to leave. You know, he, he, you know, his life prior was not good. And he comes here and he's got all these aunts and uncles and he's got just, it's, it's a very loving environment and they don't want to go. Exactly, it's, it's a, it gives them a reason to stay on. You know, I always, mm -hmm. I always believe with, with my animals, especially when it's a palliative care, and I'll tell them, I leave it to you to decide when you want to go. And I'll tell them, you know, it's your choice if you want me to bring you to the vet to assist you, I'll do that. You know, or, you know, um, if you want to, you know, go past in the house with, with us and the other animals, I leave it to you. So I always believe that they have a choice and they decide how they want to go, when they want to go. You know, and and like I said, what what you do with the dogs is just so. You know, I mean, like I just read the few stories in 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 the book that you 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 let me read, and you know, I was feeling very emotional. You know, uh, some of it I was actually tearing because, you know, I can relate. I can, you know, I I I can feel it being an animal lover, but the the care you know, and how the animals touch the two of you. I love that, you know, and I, I always tell my friends, I said, you know, the animals are sent, they're angels in disguise, sent from heaven to teach us how to be better human beings. It doesn't matter whether they end up as food on the plate for us or their dogs or their birds flying in the garden. They're all angels teaching us, sending us a message. And it's up to us whether we actually listen, you know, whether we, 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 we hear the message and whether do we, you know, what do we do with that message? Do we become better? Do we try to be, you know, a better human being? And I love the fact that your life is a life of service. You know, it's, it's a very honorable thing. It's a very noble cause, you know, and to have a network of aunts and uncles. I mean, there's a huge community that you have, you know, there's a big family. So, you know, I'm not surprised that every dog that goes into your home, they're so spoiled. It's like, there's no way I'm leaving now. I'm just getting started. <laughs> you know, the thing, that, the thing that blows me away is, and, you know, and I've, I always say to, to people, like, imagine... We all have our routine in the morning. We, we, like, we like to get up, go to the bathroom, brush our teeth, um, have our coffee, and not talk to anybody for two hours. Whatever our routine is, these dogs, whatever the routine was, they don't have it. It's like being in a country where you can't speak the language. No one knows what they need. No one knows what food doesn't upset their stomach or that they don't eat in the morning. They're all of a sudden in a whole different world. And some of the dogs that come here, it's, it's obviously clear that their life was horrible prior to coming here. And they don't waste 
one single second, not one single second, telling us that story or hanging on to any of it. They immediately say, gee, you seem all right. All right, I'll let you clean my ears. Okay, you can clip my toenails. And that breakfast was really good. Could I have some more? They, they, they let go of their past so fast and they embrace the here and now. And they don't waste days, weeks, months, or, or even years on anything that wasn't great. And that's so inspiring. I'm still mad about this guy that gave me heck at a stop sign two weeks or two days ago. I'm mad about it. Why waste time? The dogs, the dogs don't do that. The dogs don't do that. They're, they're just, they're great teachers. So aside from Monkey, of all the dogs that you've cared for, which one would you say would be the most impactful dog, the most inspirational dog? Don't count Monkey now because, you know, that's a cheat, you know, for both of you. Can I have two? Okay. So one of the dogs that taught me a tremendous amount was a dog that I personally adopted. She was a middle-aged shepherd mix. Her name is Sora. And she was calm. No matter what, she was calm. And I used to think that being calm was not screaming. <laughs> and being calm is being calm from inside. And I could be at the vets with 10 dogs and they would be so well behaved and everyone would say, wow, what are you doing? And the credit went to Sora. She really was good at inner peace and calm. And um, she was a tremendous teacher to me in that. Um, more, more than any behavioral course I ever took, learning that I, I can't, you cannot fake it with dogs. You cannot fake your feelings. You cannot hide your feelings. So she really taught me how to center myself and to be calm. And she, and she was on all, you took her all the time too. Well, yeah, well, she was, she also was my co-pilot, my <laughs> assistant, the second in command, the, but, but she was very good at, at just setting an example of what calm and safe looks like to the dogs and, and taught me how to mirror that. And then the other dog that was just such an incredible inspiration and teacher was, his name was Buck and he was um, the third dog we had pulled starting Monkey's House and Dr. Morgan said, I hope you're sure about this hospice stuff because this one is going to die. And you name it. He had, he had seizures from epilepsy. He later developed a brain tumor. He was completely blind. He was deaf. He had kidney issues. He had lung issues. He, he, he was a hot mess and he was a happy hot mess. Um, but he allowed me to pill him. I could inject medications into him. He would be cooperative if I needed to do range of motion with him. Uh, if he needed to go for acupuncture, he was cooperative with acupuncture. He, he was on board with everything. And I, I could list all the things that were wrong and you could say, oh my goodness, what kind of quality did that dog have? And I can show you picture after picture. He had tremendous quality and um, you can dogs that are less sick but if you can't get their medication into them if you can't get them to comply with rehab needs if you can't if they're not comfortable when you're turning them um, because Buck would have obstacles where he would be really sick for a week or two and he would need tremendous intensive care and he was cooperative and not scathed at all by any of it um, but other dogs would wig out other dogs wouldn't take medication wouldn't be cooperative with having met eating food sponge, you know, squirted into their mouth. Um, and that 
that's as much of a problem as their illnesses. And so the fact that I could keep the buck lived with us for, for over four years, he lived vibrantly. Wow. Buck had tremendous his ability to trust and to go with the flow had a tremendous amount to do with that. And for dogs that 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 can't that, that can't tolerate things, it's not their fault. They just they just can't tolerate it. Um, so we've had we've had to say goodbye to dogs that weren't anywhere near as sick as Buck because we couldn't provide them with the care that their body needed at the time for the for the battle they were fighting. Um, and that's that's a lesson you can't really read about in a book. That's something that has to be in your face, I think. Yeah. So, so thank you for letting me have two dogs, Soren Buck. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> How about Jeff? So, if, I mean, there's so many dogs that, that have come through our doors. Um, I, I guess there was a, a German Shepherd mix named Holly. And Holly was probably the, she was emaciated when she came here, the thinnest dog I've, we've ever taken in. And, and Michelle initially didn't, well, after a few months, she was, she, after a few months, Michelle said that was the thinnest dog that she ever saw that lived, right? Um, so, but she was, besides physically, you know, abused by lack of, you know, getting nutrients, um, she was also, she was afraid of people, right? So she was angry, she was, um, not good with dogs. Yeah, she wasn't good with other dogs. And for the first six weeks, Michelle was the only person that could actually go into where she was staying in her little suite um, and then start walking her. And, and it was slow, uh, the slow transformation. But what, it, what amazes me is the transformation that these dogs do. Now, we're not saying transformation as in now they're going to live for years and years because there are still hospice dogs. But still, there's a transformation that we see in every one of them. And Holly's was amazing because she... Uh, went from a dog that was growling at people to loving us, um, getting along fine with other dogs. I mean, she didn't necessarily love them, but she did find a few that she became very friendly with, loved the cats. Um, and what I found, uh, you know, and she had a bunch of different issues. She gained some of the weight. She was still thin, had some mobility issues. Um, but what I found really rewarding is, is helping her eat because not, not that she couldn't eat, but she has some stomach problems. And I, I called her a liquor, like she would lick her food and she would eat raw food, but she would lick it. So but what happens, she'd do a few licks. And by that time, her stomach wasn't feeling good and she stopped eating. So that's when I, <laughs> I found out about the hand method of feeding. You dip your hand right into that raw food and she would eat out of my hand. And it got to be Something special for me. It was really, it may sound odd, but at nighttime I'd feed her that way and she would eat all of it. I made sure she got her meds in and it just was something, Michelle says these little moments are amazing for these dogs. Well, that was amazing for me and our relationship with together, Holly and myself. Um, and those, for some reason, that dog really, I really connected with Holly um, and seeing that transformation in her and she went from, you know, a dog not trusting people at all to just trusting us and loving us. Wow. I just, you know, I think the hand method of feeding is a very, sorry, I have um, slight animals going on around here. <laughs> Welcome to my mini farm <laughs> at 3.40 in the morning. <laughs> oh, but um, yeah, so the, the thing is, 
the, the hand feeding method um, is a very intimate, you know, touch and communication without using our vocal cords. You know, when it comes to two different species, a human and a, and a dog, that is actually the most intimate kind of communication that you can have between two living beings that don't speak the same language technically, you know. But when you do that, like you said, it, it, it touches you in a very, you know, intimate way that it bonds you in a very special way because that the love and the care you know, it's indescribable because I've done that as well, you know, when, when I've had to, you know, really feed a, a sick animal and you're like, come on, you eat, you know, just try, just try, you know, and it gets technically really messy <laughs> with raw food, especially, you know, yeah. especially if you've got goopy eggs or whatever inside. I mean, like the average passerby will go like, ew, you know, that's so gross, you know, but that's when you know like okay that's not your people because the people who love the dog love the animal and love what you do they will understand the power of what you're doing that you know that intimacy because you're actually telling the dog live you know eat live you know and and they respond to that for some reason they really do and i just you know i think that's amazing that's really amazing mm -hmm. So number two for you, Mr. Jeff. Oh no, I'll, I'll just give you one. I'll just give you one. <laughs> I, I could go on and on. We, there's so many dogs I could go on and on about, but I'll just stick with you. You know, one. it's so funny because if you said, Rochelle, tell me about the 10 most special dogs. You know, you have an hour to tell about the 10 most special dogs you've ever met. I would blow right past the 10 and right past the hour and keep going. They're all, they're all incredible, but I would say my biggest teachers, my biggest teachers were Sora and Buck. I, I could give you one more just real quick is Hannah Bear. Hannah oh, Bear, because Hannah Bear, she came here, she was with us for a couple, two and a half years. Yep. There's a picture of her right there. I was just looking at her. She was, uh, and when she came, she had no hair from the neck back, right? Um, you keep talking, I'll get the picture. Yeah, she had no hair from the neck back. And she had memory masses that were huge and oozing. I mean, I'm talking like so big that we had, to, so she had surgery from, you know, from here to here. Wow. Um, okay. Cutie yeah. patootie. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, and, and the nutrition, um, she lived with cancer for two and a half years. And I'm talking lived cancer. She would chase the cat. She would chase the dog. She would take, chase the biggest dogs. And, and and she it was just so funny but she, uh, she would be sleeping with him too it was just like her thing like you know okay uh, you know let's have a little fun here and she loved going to the beach she loved being in the snow she just loved life and it's like one of those things she was full of cancer and it's like she's not letting her stop her you know how can, how can we learn from that right how can we learn if we have health issues don't let it stop you like, and that's what she, you know, we can learn so much from these dogs. And that's what we learned from, from Hannah Bear. It's not a death sentence. <clears throat> that's the thing, you know, it's not living. While living. Not yeah. while you're living. Yeah. yeah, so you might have cancer, but that's a slight, you know, that's an aside, you know, life still goes on. Um, you know, I think because um, we're talking about her, she doesn't want to go back up on the, on the wall just yet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> I want to be part of the pack in the conversation right now, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I just, like I said, I just think that you guys are so amazing. And the book that you wrote, you know, um, sharing those stories, I know for a fact that, you know, I look forward to them. And, you know, um, listeners out there and supporters, they will be really, truly inspired by the stories that you share in that book. So, you know, like I said, I'm looking forward to the book. Um, it's, going, it's going to be on sale uh, on Amazon, uh, on, in bookshops. So you can get the ebook, the physical book. And you, you know, like I said, I'm in Singapore and I'll be getting it. So even if you're in Singapore or in Down Under, wherever you are, do get that book because Monkey's House is very, will inspire you, inspire you no matter where you are in the world. Because the level of care that they provide will knock you off your socks. They, you know, what Jeff and Michelle, the, what they do every day, you know, if you're a rescuer like me and you want to have a quality of life and care and re a really good relationship with your animals, read the book, follow them on Facebook because they will teach you how to be a better carer for these dogs you know, and, and all I can say is just get the book, everyone. Just get the book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for listening to Monkey's House Story. Look out for Daniel Quagliozzi's interview next week. Wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.